Greenhouse people, and welcome to another episode of Tech On Demand, brought to you by Grower Talks. I'm your host, Bill Calkins, and our goal here is to help you grow your best crop ever by sharing cultural and technical information based on discussions with experts around the globe, although sometimes we'll cover other topics in the horticulture realm, like nursery and retail. This episode, we're joined by three experts for a discussion about holding crops. There are many reasons you'd want to delay crops. Weather, product backing up at retail, changing ad dates, and plenty of others. So having a plan to deal with delayed shipping and knowing strategies to keep annual and perennial crops alive and saleable longer are good tricks to have under your hat. I'm pleased to be joined by Jerry Gorchels from Pan American covering seed annuals, Gary Vollmer with Selecta One and Ball Floor Plant talking vegetative crops, and Chris FIFO from Darwin Perennials and Keeft Seed bringing perennials to the table. These guys have a ton of experience and are here to share some of it with you and your production teams. And be sure to check the show notes for a link to a sortable Excel tool with crop-specific culture. Here comes strategies for holding annual and perennial crops from Tech On Demand. So although this season is somewhat of an anomaly, the first time North America has really experienced pandemic-related quarantines and sheltering, holding crops and delaying crops due to market challenges like weather impacts growers more often than not. So today we're going to catch up with three experts covering a wide range of greenhouse crops from a technical and cultural perspective to learn strategies that greenhouse professionals can use when product can't be shipped on time. So we'll talk about what crops respond well to holding and delaying strategies from cutting back to temperature manipulation and chemicals. How can you make those kinds of decisions? And what data do we have to determine how to treat specific crops? Are there any that you absolutely should not hold in certain ways? We're going to tackle all this and much more for seed annuals, vegetative annuals, and perennials with Jerry, Gary, and Chris. The goal is to keep annual and perennial crops alive and saleable longer. I'm Bill Calkins with Ball, and I'll be the moderator for this discussion, and I'm really excited to welcome the guests, Jerry Gorchels, Gary Baller, and Chris Fifo, to this call. So first off, can you each quickly introduce yourselves and let the folks listening know your roles within the organization? So we'll start with Chris and then go to Jerry and finally to Gary. Sure. Thanks, Bill. Uh, I'm Chris Fifo. I am a product representative for both Keith Seed and Darwin Perennials, and so it's all thing perennial, both seed and vegetative. Uh, before this, I was a uh, head grower in technical services with Swift Greenhouses for 30 years, and so my entire career has been spent uh, growing perennial liners and finished crops. Yes, thanks, Chris. And I'm Jerry Gorschels. I'm with Pan American Seed Company. Uh, I've been with Pan Am for uh, 33 years now, and and I'm one of the uh, regional account managers, but uh, I was a grower for 30 years before I went into uh, the sales end of Pan American Seed. I've been in the industry for 48 years, and really, to be perfectly honest with you, I've never seen a spring like this. So uh, there's a lot of challenges that uh, that we have to deal with and, and uh, you know, eventually move on from. So hopefully we'll help you with that today. 
yeah, and um, yeah, I agree with Jerry on on the, this uh, unprecedented spring. Um, I'm Gary Ballmer. I'm a product and technical manager for Selector North America. Uh, prior to my role at Ball, I've been uh, head grower production manager for many years across uh, North America, and uh, a lot of experience with these kind of challenges and what to deal with uh, when you're when you're stuck with crop. So I, I think it's interesting that you guys were all growers in your past. You've all had tons of experience with multiple crops and all sorts of different production situations. And I think you're all agreeing that this is pretty unprecedented what we're dealing with now. So I'm going to go ahead and start uh, with uh, Jerry and Gary focusing on annuals. And I'm just going to ask you, can you share some different strategies that growers can use to hold crops or delay crops and and maybe what successful methods you've seen and used during your careers? Well, I think, you know, one of the first things our instinct is to do is to turn the thermostat down, to cool things down. Uh, as growers, we all know that crops develop slower at cooler temperatures, and at least then we feel like we have some control over them. Um, for the most part, that will work, but there's other crops like um, you know, vinca and pentas that you really can't turn your heat off on. Um, of course, there's, uh, you know, the uh, temperature differentials that we can use to, to control our growth. There's PGRs, there's growing on the dry side. Uh, that quite often that's the very uh, common one is keep things dry. Um, and then, of course, you know, using uh, fertilizers appropriate for holding. Basically, it's just the uh, the CalMag fertilizers and staying away from phosphorus and ammonium. Uh, and then just cutting your feed levels in half will make a big difference too. I think that those are some of the things that I've used to uh, really hold the crops and keep them in good shape. Um, there's other things too, like pinching. Um, you know, there's certain crops uh, like. Uh, uh, Angelonia that I would not pinch uh, because then you actually get this antler effect uh, after the pinch. But things like petunias, yeah, they respond quite nicely to cutting back. But uh, basically, I, I think the main thing is to cool your crops down and then respond accordingly for the individual crops as far as what their needs are. Gary, yeah, yeah, you know, I agree with everything that Jerry is saying, absolutely. And I'd just like to kind of expand a little bit on, on, on some of these scenarios. Um, cold. Cold is a great technique. If you can do it, cooling the greenhouse is, is down is, is, you know, one of the, the, the most effective ways we can hold crops without having any kind of serious negative effect, uh, no stunting from the PGR, um, no having to regrow or loss of shade from cutbacks, et cetera. But there are some things you, you've got to be aware of when you cool a greenhouse down. And, and one of the principles I think is really important, um, you, you have to kind of get your head around, and that's the concept of dew point. When you start talking about coating your greenhouse cold, you're talking about running, um, letting your nights go cold and not heating at night. If it's warm, sunny weather, you have to make sure that you ventilate before you go to bed because uh, otherwise you'll build humidity up and then you'll hit dew point. And when you're trying to hold flowers, open flowers, um, if you get to dew point in the greenhouse, then you will actually get condensation in the blooms, and then you'll start getting into a botrytis battle. So it's always important: uh, cold and low humidity in the greenhouse are are, are uh, paramount. And then you know, PGR strategies can be very, very effective. Um, and but it's really knowing 
like so many things with PGRs, you really have to know your, your product, you know, um, the, the species specifically, how you're applying it, what the rates and, and the efficacy of the chemicals are. Simple, broad strokes, let's, you know, hit everything with the two-part bonsai drench kind of scenarios can lead to some huge, uh, major problems uh, post-harvest. Uh, impatience, begonia, something like that would have no growth after that type of application. So you have to be, PGR is going to have to be a much more pre uh, precise strategy, species by species, in some cases, series by series, uh, rate based. So we are working on getting some information together as a group, uh, Ball's technical group, to bring uh, specific uh, species-based information to play. But again, just to reemphasize what Jerry said too, uh, cut back when you have to. Not my first choice, but we can get into that more. And then uh, dry is a good strategy. I like um, uh, feeding. I never go hungry, but go to a harder feed program is good. I do not like starvation. It weakens the plant. Um, but a hard feed versus a soft feed, I think, is a good strategy. Yeah. You know, I, I uh, thought of something else, too. Uh, for, and this, this primarily comes from uh, fall pansy growing down in Texas or some of the other hot climates. And right now, in the south, you are having a harder time controlling your temperatures or, or keeping them on the cool side. Um, one thing that I think is very important is not to sacrifice your temperature for light levels. Uh, make sure your light levels stay up as high as possible, and, and that can also be a very good tool for holding your crops. Uh, there's nothing yeah. worse than trying to shade your greenhouses to control your temperature, and then under those lower light levels, uh, the crop really starts to accelerate its uh, stretched growth. So, uh, you know, don't sacrifice your light levels for your temperature. I think that's, yeah, that's, a, that's an, uh, it's an excellent point, Jerry, and I think um, uh, it brings up memories of an experience, too, in, the, in a similar situation. One of the problems we had in trying to hold is we had a, a basket canopy over uh, a bedding crop. And as soon as we removed that basket canopy, light levels improved. Uh, the crops started behaving a lot better. Uh, you know, less pressure for botrytis, all the stuff. So that's the other thing, too, is if you are trying to hold, try not, try if you can to do it without a canopy over the top. And to Jerry's point, yeah. light is your friend, always. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, very important to have those bright light levels. So the challenge at this time of year is our light intensities are going up. Our days are getting longer, and so that is, you know, increasing our thermal gains within the greenhouse. And so that leads to a larger positive diff and a, a more of a stretch response on the crops. And so that's where you really got to be aware of that. Um, outdoors, you know, for uh, some crops is definitely a good option. Full sun, natural temperatures there, you'll avoid any temperature buildup within the greenhouse. Uh, but then with that uh, that positive diff response, uh, that's where PGRs can come in handy on some crops as well. Yeah, I think when we talk about putting outside, I think that's a, that's that, that's a great strategy. We're applicable. I just think you know, depending on where you are regionally, um, yep. and what the weather is uh, regionally, uh, you know, some protection strategy should be in play, whether it be you know frost blanket or uh, morning syringing, but trying to avoid the potential of getting frost on a crop. Also, uh, greenhouse tissue that's been grown warmer in the greenhouse, ideally you want to turn the heat down in the greenhouse as low as you can get it for a few days, transition it before you take it outside into the cold, or at least look at a, a time when you transition it outside where the temperatures are a little bit moderate so that they get adapted to that, uh, that outside environment. 
and then light levels too, going from a, a shadier under canopy greenhouse out into the, the full sun of outside can also cause some uh, potential damage to the tissue. But outdoors is good when you can do it. Wow, that's a lot of fantastic information. I think that um, some of the, the points that you guys made about the regional differences, um, the fact that, you know, if you are choosing a PGR strategy, it needs to be very crop-specific. And um, just some, some of the general uh, in, information is, is going to be good to keep in mind. So a couple of you mentioned cutting back. Um, that uh, can elicit all sorts of different uh, ideas in people's heads. So can you define what you mean by cutting back during this discussion? And um, I guess, I guess maybe it's how far to cut back or different strategies. And are there specific production or cultural practices that need to be in place after a crop is cut back? Well, primarily, I don't like to cut back perennials unless you absolutely have to, um, partially because, you know, there's that handful of perennials that are only going to flower that one time per season. Uh, but the ones that are more, you know, first-year flowering and continuous flowering type of items like, you know, veronicas, dianthus, lavenders, things like this, uh, when we do come to cutting them back, I would say, you know, 50% uh, would be probably about the max I'd like to. And then, you know, big part there is make sure you get that, uh, that foliage removed. You know, don't leave that on the pots. It's going to lead to botrytis and other problems. And always practice good sanitation um, on tools and whatnot that you are using to cut them back. But then I generally like a good preventative fungicide spray afterwards, uh, especially since, like I said, we're holding these crops. And so we're going to have an extended period of time where they're going to be more exposed. We've got those open wounds now. And so I think a preventive spray after cutting is a good idea. Yeah, yeah I, I, I want to weigh in on cutting. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah go ahead, go ahead Gary. Gary. Okay, okay, I will. Um, uh, yeah, you go, Gary. So, you know, I mentioned earlier about Angelonia, and, and this is a prime example of a plant that has the flower spike coming out of the terminal or, or out of the main shoot of the plant itself. Uh, when you remove that, you do two things. You change the shape of the plant where the secondary flowers are going to go more to the outside or, or, or spray out maybe at a 45-degree angle, leaving a hole in the center of the plant itself. And you're also going to delay your flowering about oh, anywhere from two to three weeks. So you have to keep that in mind when you cut things back. Uh, is, is it a terminal flower or are they axillary flowers? Uh, so you have to keep that in mind. Uh, a crop like, like petunias that does branch quite freely, uh, that will have secondary flowers coming along on the side shoots, and, and that will bring itself back up and fill back in. So just keep in mind what, what type of habit the plant it has you know, to start with. Uh, something like a zinnia, for instance, that has that main flower first. Uh, if you're holding for two or three weeks, you know, yeah, you could take off that first flower and then let the secondaries come up and your plants would be just fine. But uh, uh, depending on where you are with when you think you're going to ship uh, is really going to make that call on whether or not you cut back. Yeah, you know, in my experiences, we always used to, we use the, the, the terms, we kind of term, ter talked about in three ways. We talked about a cutback, which was a pretty serious cutback. We talked about a haircut, which was just kind of a trim. And then we talked about deflowering. So, you know, obviously the, the, the least um, dramatic to the plant 
is simply removing the existing flowers. It's a great way to prevent uh, dead blooms and botrytis and disease coming in on top of the crop, but it isn't really going to affect the uh, the habit and structure of the plant. So oftentimes deflowering is done in conjunction with the PGR and holding strategy. You'll go in and say, all right, we got to hold these guys for three weeks, so I'm going to go in there and, and we're going to remove all the open blooms, and then we're going to hit it with the PGR, and that way I've got fresh blooms and, and I'll hold it. Haircut, again, uh, less dramatic. You're basically taking the, the terminals and the flowers tips off of the plant. It can be strategic in a combination, taking the dominant uh, shoots and dominant plants out, and that's often the case with in a, in a, in a, a larger container or basket-type situation. You do kind of a, a, a trim around the rim of the pot or just kind of a general haircut to shape the basket. And then you have the, the other strategy, which is really just cut it back, where you're literally, sorry, I'm going to kind of start over. And I think to Jerry's point, you really have to know the the, the, the nature of the, the flower on your plant, be perennial or annual or regardless. Is this a free-branching branching plant? Is it a soft plant that free flowers? That's That that will determine, then you can cut it back, and then you know that it's going to flush, and, flush and, and fill in. Unless you're in a very small container, you'll probably get a pretty decent-shaped plant. But anything that's a spike-flowering plant, it's going to dramatically change the shape of the plant. And the smaller the container that you're in, the more dramatic that difference of the, the, the look will be. So you really kind of got to look at, you know, cutting back. And, again, there are crops that you just should not cut back. They just don't respond. Other crops you can cut back freely. You can mow freely. So it really depends. You know, I like your your comment about deflowering um, with a very popular crop like nonstop begonias um, or yes. any type of those hamalias uh, uh, types or, or fibrous types too. Uh, just by taking off those first flower buds, uh, and then letting the plant reflower will we'll give you at least a week to 10 days time uh, and still have a completely clean crop so to work with. And then yeah. you'll have a fresh flower bed to go to the store with. I think that, you know, that, that this kind of just overall, that, that, that concept there, Jerry, just kind of goes overall to the high level of this whole conversation here is, is you know, how long am I trying to hold this for? I mean, am I, yeah. am I trying yeah. to buy myself a month? Am I buying myself a few weeks? What, what, what is my goal in this hold, and, and, you know, how dramatic is the hold that you're going to need? Because you know, and do as, some as crazy green, things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and house managers, we do have to think about that. Um, obviously, it's it's going to be the greenhouse manager's call. And, uh, and, you know, there's some other questions that we'll cover later on in the bit that will also help in those decision makings. But um, really, it's... Uh, it's 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 a separate call on each individual uh, genus and species. Yeah, yeah. Those are all really really good points. Um, and you mentioned uh, Jerry. You mentioned um, Anzalonia and some other crops that have uh, that that significant terminal um, type flower. And uh, Chris, you talked a little bit about perennials and which ones you would cut back and which ones you wouldn't. Um, and how not to really paint a broad brush. So how about um, any, any you know, in your guys' history as growers, any plans uh, for delay in holding crops that have failed, or what are some, some bad ideas or crops that just don't respond well to, uh, to some of these methods? Well, I think one of the worst ideas is just to go in and do a blanket PGR. 
uh, a bonsai drench or a heavy sumagic spray. I've seen, okay, yes, we can go ahead and hold these crops for a very long time, but then the problem the grower necessarily wouldn't see would be that they wouldn't grow out of it properly after it does finally go to the consumers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I, that's, I, 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 go ahead, Jerry. No, that's a good comment, Chris, because I've seen uh, growers go in and I use the term laminate. They laminated the crop with plant growth regulators because they had to hold yeah. it. <laughs> but, you know, unfortunately, yeah. that lamination goes into the consumer, too, So, and that discourages them. So we don't really want really to do that. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, you know, I, I, I lived that experience um, where I had a grower that basically was, you know, instructed that we needed to hold this section and basically decided a blanket bonsai spray was, was the solution. And, oh, boy, was it the solution, I'll tell you. We kept some plants around for six months just to prove a point to remind that grower uh, you know about those kind of calls, but yeah, I, I think over PGR is definitely the number one uh, mistake you make. And, and you know, we alluded to earlier, the PGR just has to be—it has to be precise. There's a lot of good reference materials out there to help you guide the rates that you want to use and the, and the application methodology you you want to use as far as PGRs are concerned. You know, yeah, the other thing yeah, I tell you is, is put, you know, mistakes is like putting a cold crop. Are you a, a warm crop in a cold house? New Guinea patients, mm. uh, hanging baskets. Say, wow, I'm getting to hold these things. They're full color. I'm going to basically drop the temperature in that house to 50 degrees. Not a good idea. There are certain species that just cannot handle cold temperatures at all. Mm. So that I've made that you know, mistake a couple of times. Yeah, so have I. <laughs> um, you know, you bring you bring back uh, two interesting points. Getting back to the PGRs, um, you know, if you are inclined to, um, you know, maybe some of the smaller growers where they do have multiple genuses in a house or even mixed containers. Um, a, a B9 or a B9 psychocell tank mix is actually more forgiving and, and it won't have the same impact as Bonsai does, but it will help tone your crops uh, better to a point where you do feel you have more control on the crops. But here again, make sure you check your rates. Um, you know, the other thing about having warm crops and cool greenhouses, uh, if you hadn't already planned your crop placements in your greenhouse, you know, putting the cool crops all together uh, and then the warmer crops all together uh, should be the way it's been done so you can react accordingly for, for the needs of these crops. But, yeah, there's nothing worse than having um, a, a bay of pansies uh, next to a bay of impatience or New Guinea impatience or Pentas or, you know, you know, or Vinca, you know. Uh, so that's when you really run into difficulties and, and it, it becomes very challenging. And, you know, Jerry, that, that, that scenario is kind of one of those scenarios that I think is probably going to play itself out with some of these guys right now is because you, you, you've got those pansies in the way. And, and yeah. you've got to make that decision. What am I doing with these pansies that are in the way? And I've got behind it, I've got another crop of something that's probably going to be on a five- or six-week crop turn to hit spring peak. So, yeah. yeah, that pansy in the way and other cool crop in the way is something I'm sure is part of this uh, reality out there in the world right now. Yeah. 
So before we uh, go into a little bit more specifics on perennials with Chris, I'm interested in something that uh, we had all talked about a few days ago when we were um, when we sort of made the decision to have this call, and that was um, why growers would choose to hold crops versus cutting them back, um, selecting these different strategies, and what would impact that decision. You've talked a lot about it, but one thing that, that you guys had brought up a couple of days ago that I think is worth getting into is um, – it's pot sizes, and, and so if you're growing in packs or, or in four inch or in gallons, I think that that would have that would have to have a significant um, sort of impact on your decision. And also, you referenced it a little bit, and certainly the uh, certainly the uncertainty is is out there. But it's the timing and number of weeks that you think you're going to have till you go to market. Does anyone want to jump in about about pot size specifically, and maybe a little bit about timing? Gary, why don't you go first on this one? Gary, you there? Sorry, sorry, guys. I was I was oh. muted there for a second. Oh, <laughs> inadvertently. <laughs> um, so, uh, I think one of the series is is when we talked about pot size. It, it has to do with the specific nature of the plant. Like, for example, uh, you know. As Jerry alluded to, you know, something soft like a petunia, you can cut back and it'll flush and it'll fill. And that's fine. Even like a four-inch pot, you can get that. But if you're in packs, then it's very difficult to get a pack on a lot of plants, even something like a petunia, to give you the kind of shape that you want that product to really look like. So in those situations, um, you've got to decide – you know what? What is your what is your game plan here, and yeah. and and how that pot size is influenced? That is going to be, you know, based on when you think you can get that thing sold, and 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 what's it going to look like when you go to market. Can you go to market, you know, four weeks late with a pack that is a little a little lumpy? Is the market going to bear that? Whereas if you're yeah. in a bigger container, you have the opportunity, even with something uh, like like for example a, a, a tall snapdragon. And, and, and a pack, you cut back to a snapdragon, you get a couple of branches, it's going to look wonky. But in, in uh, even like a quart pot or a gallon, a 2.5 quart pot, you cut back to that snap, it'll throw a couple of uh, shoots up there, but it'll still look acceptable in that bigger container. So to me, that's the, I think the biggest issue, I mean, when you look at the container size, it really has to be with how that product's going to present itself um, in a cutback scenario. And that's where I think a lot of times in smaller containers, you kind of paint yourself into a, a hold cold or PGR strategy. Yeah. You know, and, and you, you, you mentioned the larger container sizes. I, I think larger container sizes, in my mind, are easier to hold than they are the packs. And and as we, as we produce our crops through the season, it seems we have um, more plantings of the packs. You might have seven or eight plantings of, of uh, impatience where you will only have four plantings of four inch or quart impatience. The larger the container size, the easier it is to hold it, uh, dry it down, uh, has more light around the plant itself. It's less prone to stretch like they are in the packs. Um, and I'm going to get ahead of myself in our, in our program here, but as these plantings come on, and if you think you're going to, uh, you know, literally get into the next planting before the first planting goes i mean just cut your losses and dump that and start shipping the second one 
you know, just don't don't even yeah. mess around with it. Just uh, Abs- ab- you know. absolutely, Jerry. I think that's absolutely true. And I think when you get into these, you know, these smaller containers, especially ones that are targeted in the front end of spring, uh, is there even going to be a market, uh, even if you could do it, versus the cost that you have to do it? And and the other cost that you have to look at about deciding whether you cut and hold the crop is the opportunity cost of that space. Was there another crop that was going to go in that space that you now aren't going to be able to do because you chose to hold and cut this crop back? Is that the best economic decision, that that maybe you get to market with a product that's going to be okay? Or do you cut your loss and say, no, I'm going to plant now and I'm going to go to market with the product that was intended on the crop schedule in the methodology that it was intended so that it hits the market like I grew it and intended it to hit. What's is gonna what's gonna get me the most revenue in the end? It's and, a difficult yeah, decision. And, and and this this decision process yeah. is happening right now. I mean within the next two weeks, um, you know, we have product on the bench. We have things in the seed house that should be going onto that bench soon or in the onto that floor soon and, and so you know, we have to weigh it out, and you know, it it would be great if we had a crystal ball to say, okay, all the garden centers can open up again, and you know, and it's a green light, go ahead. But uh, you know, it's it's still not that way, so we're just going to have to have to weigh it out. But you know, if it looks it like is, the next crop is coming on, eat your losses. I would agree. You know, and, and we always used to look at this. It's one of the most difficult equations that a lot of growers have to face, even in normal years. But in this situation, it's exceptional. But you have to come back to the the, 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 the financial decision. We always use the term, the first dump is the cheapest dump. So that basically means the earlier you are in the production process, the less skin you have in the game. Is it in the plug tray? Well, now I have not invested in the pack, the soil, the labor to plant it, the tag, the, the, the movement, the lay down, et cetera, et cetera. So if you can cut the loss, you know, before planting, that's the cheapest one. But the problem is, is that requires foresight into what's going to happen in the market six, eight weeks in front of you. So that's difficult to do. But then oftentimes, you know, like I said, we're faced with the reality of is now I've got a crop in the way. And that is unfortunately the math that we have to usually decide that, that we can or, you know, can or can't get, get in the ground because there's something that is literally ready to ship that isn't shipped. And that's kind of where I think that the, the, we're landing on this conversation. And those are going to be serious uh, calls that are going to have to be made. Another option is to fun, stagger right? the trims. If we really have to go to trimming a plant uh, back and trimming a crop back, we can, you know, it's uncertainty that's really holding us back here. And so we can do that in stages, maybe just trim back a third of the crop. And then maybe next week or the week after, do a third again if you have to. And that way we don't have the whole thing going out when, say, oh, the garden center all of a sudden opens up and my crops have not regrown yet. And so I like Jerry's comment that uh, gallons are, are certainly easier to hold than packs are. And an important uh, point there is he mentioned more lights. You know, space your crops out. Give them some good airflow. Get that humidity down. That's really going to help uh, the individual containers, you know, gallon pots hold a lot better with some uh, some better spacing. No, those those are great points. I guess it's like the song, right? You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, and I nobody likes to dump. 
obviously. But this year, it sounds like um, those calls are, are going to be made and going to have to be made. So I uh, think you guys have given some, some really good advice. And, um, yeah, I think what Gary said is true. It comes down to that opportunity cost of the space. And, uh, and that's a good mantra. The first dump is definitely the cheapest dump. So, hey, Chris, I think uh, it's time to, to talk a little bit about perennials. You have shared uh, quite a bit as we've gone on here, and I know that there are probably some similarities uh, to how you're going to treat your annuals, but um, can you talk a little bit about uh, uh, growers who have perennial crops that are ready to ship to spring markets and really know where to send them in an uncertain kind of future and, and what kind of advice you'd give those folks? Well, there are a lot of similarities to the annuals in, uh, you know, control with the moisture, you know, higher light levels, the better. Uh, cold temperatures, um, that's one benefit that many perennials have. We can hold them at colder temperatures than uh, some of the annuals. And as Gary mentioned before, fertilizer. You know, I don't like completely quitting the fertilizer to hold a crop. Uh, that's going to weaken the plant. It's going to make it more susceptible to diseases and botrytis. But uh, do continue with a cow mag type fertilizer and watch the phosphorus levels. Uh, keep the phosphorus levels down low. That's going to help control the growth as well, help control the softness. 2010-20 is definitely not a feat of choice for holding, even at a low rate, more like a 13-2-13 or a 14-4-14 type of fertilizer, 100, 150 parts per million as necessary. But just give them something. Um, my philosophy on growing is always you are what you eat. You know, If you're not going to give them anything, you're not going to have much of a crop there when it does come time to sell them yes i agree so what about uh specific perennial crops that that you think would respond well to some of these strategies or others that that you might you know you, you definitely wouldn't shear back or you wouldn't uh you know you wouldn't change up the feeding or, or one of the other variables um kind of like i asked the other guys are there any specific crops that that you just want to warn growers about while we have this chance right now yeah, our, our difficulties are our first ship weeks here, our early spring bloomers, Iberus, Aquilegia, let's say our perennial lithiums, um, leopard spain, Geronicum, uh, myosotis for sure. These are one and done crops. And so these, I think, are the most challenging in that we cannot cut them back. All we can do is hold the flowers that we currently have on them. And these are crops that can handle our, you know, right down to freezing. Um, these are ones, you know, I mentioned, you know, if you're able to, you can move them outside. Um, you can have a frost blanket available if necessary. Like this morning in the Chicago area, we opened, woke up to some snow on the ground. Um, frost blanket is going to definitely be beneficial, but if these are already acclimated within the greenhouse, already down to cool temperatures in the greenhouse, they're going to do just fine, and we're going to be able to hold those flowers a lot longer on those crops. And so some of, those are some of the most challenging ones, and that's where we want to make sure – we keep some feed on them as well, um, but to avoid, uh, avoid excess phosphorus and definitely avoid, um, say, ammonia-type fertilizers. And so these are the ones uh, I definitely would not cut back. But, um, you know, there are many others that are first-year flowering perennials now. It's been a big deal. And so we can cut these back um, as necessary. You know, Achilles, Agastaches, Dianthus for sure. Um, and lavenders, you know, we're going to trim those back. We can either do the haircut method uh, or we can cut them back, say, 50% if necessary. I 
generally prefer haircuts versus a really hard whack back. Uh, but the biggest drawback on annuals or perennials is the time that it's going to take to reflower these. And so um, if anybody's guessing when the market is going to break, and so do just part of a crop at a time. Keep the other half um, you know, ready for sale as necessary, but don't do the entire thing. Don't put all your eggs in one basket now that it's Easter time. It's a good illusion right there. Advice. I really like so that. I, think, I, 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 I really like that advice from Chris. Uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I, I like that. When we're delving in the unknown, if you have no experience doing a cutback on a crop, then by all means, don't do all of it. Um, but learn as we go. And so we have another category, you know, because we have our early spring bloomers, but then we've got our summer and fall bloomers. And so some of those that are manipulating photo period and getting some of our summer bloomers to bloom earlier in the greenhouse, say rubecchias, echinaceae, maybe uh, budlias, these are going to be another challenge. And so if we've got those in the flower already, one thing you can do is we can uh, cut back our lighting. If we're still doing photoperiodic lighting, we can bring it to natural day length. That is going to extend the blue time on those. Um, but there's some of them, you know, they're not going to handle the cold, uh, monardas and budlias. These are ones I would not move into the cold because they're just going to go downhill. And so those are going to be challenging crops. That's where I would look at PGRs. Um, you know, I prefer sprays over drenches. You have a lot more control with a foliar spray of a bonsai or sumagic, or as Jerry mentioned, B9 and Cyclocell tank mix. That was always one of my favorites. Uh, you do have to be careful of possibly a little bit of flower burn on some items, say, uh, like an Iceland poppy is going to be in full bloom, beautiful bay of poppies. They can burn a little bit on uh, open blooms with the B9 cyclocell combo. So something to be aware of, but B9 itself uh, can help green up a crop. We've got to keep the color in these, and B9 on just about anything can add some green to the crop. So that's another thing um, to keep in mind to keep these saleable. And then I'd say our, our third category is our season-long bloomers. Um those dianthus, those coriopsis, we can cut them back. They're going to be back in flower in four weeks or so. And so um, it really is crop by crop on what we're going to do with them. Um, like I said, I've had a lot of experience with our finished crops at Swift. Uh, I've experienced every type of season that there is over the years and all kinds of different growers, as, as Gary mentioned. Yeah, you're going to have a grower that's going to want to go in there and just blanket apply a PGR. And so we've had seasons when I would not be able to keep up on the planting. There are seasons like this where we're holding and holding stuff. And so a lot of times, you know, with these crops, perennials are just going to be in bloom for a certain period of time, and we're always staggering our plantings. And so theoretically, we have some stock held back yet. And in my opinion, perennials can hold a little bit better in a liner or in a plug tray than some annuals. They're not going to get as root bound as quickly. And so we can still hold that stock back and keep it from planting. And those, you know, we can keep those all cold and kind of hold them in suspended animation until we have the space and until we need the crop ready. You know, Chris, you mentioned the, the warm perennials too. I want to throw in their hibiscus because, uh, you know, you might Absolutely. have a hibiscus crop that's coming into bud. And if you chill that down to into the 40s, you could very easily abort all your flower buds. So, so yeah. that's definitely a crop that you cannot chill down. 
Asclepius would be another one. Uh, Asclepius is a huge item for butterfly gardens. There's been a lot of push on the Asclepius tuberosa. This is one that I would not cool down uh, like that. That is a warm storage only, and it's not something that really responds well to trimming back either. It does uh, trim back, but you only get usually a single, maybe two branches coming back, and it completely changes the shape of the plant, and it does take a long time to come back into flower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, you mentioned when, uh, we discussed earlier about uh, the temper- temperature differential. Now, if we're in a greenhouse and we have the capability of running a negative diff, that'd be dropping the temperature uh, before the sun rises, dropping it uh, 20 to 25 degrees, if possible, is a really good tactic. But this means we need to run heat in the greenhouse at night. And so our normal tactic was to run 55, maybe 60 degrees at night. After it's completely dark, turn the temperature up. And this is going to help you prevent hitting that dew point as well, as Gary mentioned, uh, getting that condensation on the plants that's going to lead to some serious problems. But then early in the morning, you drop that temperature down into the 30s, the low 40s if possible. Negative dip is extremely effective on perennials. Oh, that, that's fantastic information. I think this has really been a great discussion. Um, I want to go ahead and, and wrap it up because I know that uh, the listeners are probably going to need to get back in the greenhouse and back to the computer and continue their planning. So I'm going to give you guys the chance to add any closing comments, catch anything we've missed. Um, is there anything else that, that you guys want to share um, with growers out there who are struggling with this challenge right now? Well, I just want to make the comment that, you know, we're a resource uh, for ball, and uh, please feel to re- uh, feel free to reach out to us to get information. Reach out through your uh, your sales rep. They can get uh, direct access to us, or you can find us on uh, our emails on the websites. And, uh, yeah, we'd be glad to, if you want to get into more heavily detailed discussions on specific crop situations, we're here to help. And also, yeah, you said um, it perfectly. Yeah, okay. I, I just wanted to to reiterate that as we are making decisions in our greenhouses, that I, I don't think there's any one uh, characteristic or tip that we can give you to help you out. It, it's weighing out the balances of whether or not you use temperature or dry downs or lower feed levels or, um, you know, you know, make sure you keep your light high. That, of course, is one that you would definitely want to do. But but uh, it, it's a mixture of all these things that are really going to help you make it this year. Yes, use, use environment first. Uh, use all your tools you have available, temperature, light, water, nutrients, and gases. Look at those items first. Manipulate each one of those uh, to get the desired results crop-by-crop crop basis and as Gary said, use your resources. There's tons of information available out there uh, through your ball sales rep, through your ball tech team, and just on Google. Um, these are tools that Jerry and Gary and I didn't have growing up in the greenhouse, and we had to figure out all the stuff for ourselves without the benefits of Google. So use your resources. Lots of information available to you. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, guys. I know that we're currently living through this unique period in the history of North America and the world. 
And at Ball, I think we, we just want to wish the best to everyone in the industry, and hopefully this discussion offered some helpful tips and strategies to navigate the current situation. We've also worked collaboratively using our expert technical resources team at Ball to put together some additional resources, like a, a sortable tool that Gary referenced, identifying specific crops and uh, effective holding strategies by at a species level. Um, and watch for links to these resources on ballseed.com, on the Ballseed LinkedIn page, and at the Greenhouse Tech Team Facebook group. You can find that on Facebook. All you got to do is search Greenhouse Tech Team. And, uh, and like all these guys said, your Ballseed rep is another fantastic resource for information about keeping crops saleable longer. So don't hesitate to reach out to them or any of the, uh, any of the product teams at Ball. Um, we're all definitely here to, to help and uh, make this a successful season. So, you know, good luck out there. Stay safe and well. Uh, remember that gardening is essential and spring is not canceled. And uh, once we get through this, I'm sure this group will be back with some more uh, information um, this summer and into the fall to, uh, to help keep these crops moving through retail. 